So if inspiration is true, then inerrancy follows, authority follows, sufficiency follows, and I think you talked about this last time, necessity follows. This is our necessary food. All those things follow on inspiration. Now, I have one more thing. If all these things are true, then what else must be true? If this is God's own word, and it's authoritative, and it's efficient, and it's necessary, then what else must it be? It must have clarity. We must be able to understand it. It's got to be clear. We've got to be able to understand what God has said. If his words are without error, if they're authoritative, that is, they carry weight, we must do them. We cannot ignore them. If they're necessary for what we're to believe and to do, then if they're so obscure and complicated and intricate and beyond understanding, then we're of all men most to be pitied and God is to be blamed. Now, I don't say that carelessly. But if God gave us this word, and it's inspired, inerrant, authoritative, sufficient, and necessary, but we can't understand it, then we are of all men most to be pitied, and God is to blame. For God to give us an inspired, inerrant, authoritative, sufficient, necessary revelation, but to couch it in obscure, impossible language, would be something like a parent or a teacher saying to their child or their student, I'm going to give you a really silly illustration of this, okay? But just hang with me. One or two of you will get this, but the rest of you will go, and it's supposed to, okay? It would be something for God to, to, to give us his word in obscure, impossible to understand language would be something like a parent saying to his child. You ready? I want you to understand what I'm saying. Do you have any idea what I just said? If we had an interpreter, no, that's a silly little thing called IBE language that I learned in college. And if you want to learn it, I'll teach you later. You just put the syllable IBE into every syllable of every word. So Jim would be Jibim, and David would be Dibe Vibid, and understand would be Iban Diberstiband. What I just said was if you walk through that door, there's a hungry lion on the other side of that door, and he will eat you alive. Do you understand? Now, what good would that do, my child, if, I, and kids want to look in open and closed doors, don't they? they? I mean, their curiosity gets them. But I'm, I'm begging and pleading with this kid, don't go through that door. But what I said was, Dibor, Gabor, Thribor, Gabor, Dibor. And none of you got that. For God to give us this in unintelligible language would be just like that. So if this is inspired, inerrant, infallible, authoritative, sufficient, and necessary, it must be, what? Clear. So that we get it. Let me give you a little more reasonable illustration. Tell me what verse that is. Is this Greek? Come on. Clueless. What's wrong with you people? That's what the New Testament was written in. Why? And it's plain. Why can't you read it? Because you don't know the language. But be doers of the word. Literally, be becoming. But be becoming doers. You should recognize that. It's where we, it's logos. It's a genitive form of logos, of the word. But be becoming doers of the word and not 
only hearers deceiving yourselves but you didn't know that i mean you know but you didn't know it because i had to give it to you in words that you understand okay so then a book of this nature must be clear and understandable and the word we use for that is perspicuity say that fast five times go <laughs> david say that word perspicuity close perspicuity and uh, the adjective form is perspicuous <clears throat> plain to the understanding especially because of clarity and precision of presentation comes from a latin word perspicera that's the verb perspicera and perspicera the latin perspicerum and amy's not here so i can impress her with my latin perspicera means to see through something is so clear you see through you see through it it's clear it's plain it's obvious to see something clearly and we get our english word perspicuous or the noun form perspicuity so our our lesson today is on the perspicuity or clarity of scripture <clears throat> let me give you the statement from our confession <coughs> excuse me this is from the london confession of 1689 the first chapter of that confession is all about scripture and paragraph seven says all things in scripture are not alike plain in themselves nor alike clear unto all yet those things which are necessary to be known believed and observed for salvation are so clearly propounded and opened in some place of scripture or other that not only the learned but the unlearned in a due use of ordinary means may attain to a sufficient understanding of them <laughs> would you say that's clear well if you if you break it down and think through every expression yeah sure it is sure it is all things in scripture are not like plain in themselves we'll talk about that nor like clear unto all we'll talk about that yet those things which are necessary to be known believed and observed for salvation are so clearly set forth and opened up in some place of scripture or other that not only the learned people with an education but the unlearned people without an education if you can read or if you can what hear if you can read or if you can hear then not only the learned but the unlearned in a due use of ordinary means reading or hearing may attain to a sufficient understanding of them so I, boil all that down the basic message of the bible is plain it is clear it's clear to anybody who has the capacity to read or to listen now that may raise a number of questions I hope it does. There are some things that the clarity or the perspicuity of Scripture does not mean. Isn't it helpful when you're trying to define what something is to say what it's not? You eliminate other possibilities. So I want to give you two or three things that the perspicuity of Scripture does not mean. It does not mean that all of the Bible is plain or easy to understand. It does not mean that. And you already know that, right? If you've, if you've read more than 10 pages in your Bibles, you know that it's not all crystal clear and plain. The Bible itself tells us as much. 2 Peter 3. <clears throat> That's a well-known statement where Peter's talking about Paul, who in his letter speaks of things in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and un unstable distort as they do the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. There are a couple of things in this text. One is that not everything is easy to understand. And there are different interpretations of those things. Okay, that's true. The perspicuity of scripture does not mean that there are never going to be any, any differing interpretations. We'll talk about that in a minute too. And it does not mean that all of the Bible is plain or easy to understand. A read through the Bible will make it clear that it's not all simple. <clears throat> I 
But the doctrine of perspicuity does not say that it's all simple and plain to any reader, but that its basic message, especially with regard to what is necessary for salvation, is clear and can be understood by anyone who reads or hears. It does not mean that we'll understand all of it all at once. The Bible is plain. That doesn't mean that we're going to get it all, all at once. There are degrees of understanding. There's more to be learned. Once you learn the basic, the basic truth of salvation, there are other things that are simple, but more to be learned. We don't get it all at once. Perspicuity doesn't mean that. There's room to grow in our understanding. Peter talks about the pure milk of the word, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. There are some things in the Bible that are more suited to the beginning of our Christian lives. And there are other things in the Bible that are more suited to later stages of growth. They're still plain, they're simple, but they're more suited to later stages of growth in our Christian life. So it does not mean that we understand it all, all at once. Hebrews talks about solid food for the mature. Hebrews 5, 13 and 14. So, perspicuity does not mean that it's all, all simple and plain. There are things hard to understand. It doesn't mean that we get it all, all at once. There's room to grow in our understanding of what the Bible teaches. So we could say that the Bible is at one and the same time a clear, shallow stream of cool, refreshing water from which anyone may easily drink. And a good drink it is. You agree with that? Yeah. It is. But it is also the deepest ocean, the depths of which no one on earth has altogether fathomed, and a mine the treasures of which have never yet been exhausted. True? Yeah. Um, I've been reading the Bible for... i got to do some math real fast in my head. Um... I've been reading the Bible for, give or take, almost 60 years, pretty regularly, with little, little gaps here and there, but for 60 years, they're still, I, I learn something new all the time, don't you? There's still stuff in here I don't get. I'm reading right now, I'm, I'm just finishing up my reading through the New Testament, and I'm in Revelation. I don't get that all. I don't get all of that. I, some of it is plain, but there's some of it. I read it and I. What is that talking about? Don't you have that experience? Yeah. So, at, at the Bible is at one and the same time a clear, shallow stream. Anybody can drink and it's refreshing. And at the same time, it's an ocean we've never been to the bottom of. And it's a mind we've never exhausted as we, as, we, as we get the gold and silver out of that mind. Um, Perspicuity does not mean that there will never be misunderstanding of what Scripture teaches or different interpretations. It does not mean that. And that's an objection often raised to the statement that the Bible is clear. Well, then, if the Bible is clear, why are there so many different interpretations? Well, let's go back to... 2 Peter 3, where Peter affirms that some have distorted the teachings of Paul. They've twisted the meaning of some of the things Paul wrote. There have always been differing interpretations, even of the plainest things. False teachers have been almost a constant threat to the church in every age. How much time did Jesus spend correcting the misunderstandings of the scribes and Pharisees? Was there ever a better teacher than Jesus? Ever? No. And did they misunderstand what Jesus said over and over and over again? Which tells us, where is the problem with clarity? Is it here or is it here? It's with me. The perspicuity of the scriptures 
does not say that my mind will always be clear. It says that this book is clear. The fog is here. The difficulty is here. And the Bible is plain about that. This is what Kevin DeYoung, some of you are familiar with him, calls pervasive interpretive pluralism. <laughs> okay, think about that for about three seconds. Pervasive. Pervasive. All over the place. Interpretive. How we understand. Pluralism. Lots of, lots of pervasive interpretive plural, pervasive interpretive pluralism does not deny the perspicuity of scripture. That's a lot of P's to say in a row. Okay? It just means there are lots of interpretations about a lot of things, and this is not confined to just the Bible. There are different interpretations of all sorts of things. There was a war fought in the early 1860s. What was it called? What? The what? The War of Northern Aggression, I beg your pardon. Or the war between the states or the Civil War. And you want to get some people going on how you interpret the facts that actually took place in the early 1860s then talk to a deep southerner about the Civil War and he'll be in your face in a heartbeat with the war. That's, that's um, pervasive interpretive pluralism. It's, it's in all of life. Um, red meat? How many of you eat red meat? How many of you don't eat red meat? How many are willing to admit that you don't eat red meat? People don't. And they have their interpretation of why it's bad for you or why it's good for you. Or what about Keto, Paleo, Whole30, Atkins, South Beach, Fitness Pal, um, 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 Trim Healthy Mama? They all have their advocates. And on diets, there is pervasive interpretive pluralism. Yes? Yes. Instruments in worship? Psalms only, sprinkling or immersion, pre-mail, post-mail, all-mail. There's pervasive, interpretive pluralism in all of life. So should we be surprised that that's true with regard to the Bible itself? Because where is the problem? The problem is here. The problem is not here. The problem is not in that T-bone steak. The problem is, is, is in my interpretation of whether that's good or bad for me. The problem is not in the water that's used for either sprinkling or baptism. The problem is here. Okay? And yet still, the basic message of the Bible is plain and clear. God has seen to that. So the problem is not in the book. The problem is with me. Okay? So the persecuted scriptures does not mean that there will never be misunderstandings or different interpretations. Now, where do we get this teaching called perspicuity or clarity of scripture? And I just want to take you through about one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I want to take through about nine scriptures. And this is right on the surface of the Bible. And there are others as well. And I'm just going to put them up here on the screen. This is the well-known passage of Deuteronomy 6. And these words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your sons. Children. Children. You shall teach what? Not your twist on these words, but these words. 
These words shall be on your heart and you shall teach these words to your sons, to your what? Your children. So are they understandable or aren't they? Yes. Yes. Teach them diligently to your sons and you shall talk to them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. And of course, you take these words and you apply them to children. But they're understandable. The secret things, we love to use this text for a lot of reasons. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever. They belong to us. What does that mean? Means It means they're understandable to us. And they're plain. There are things that are not plain. The secret things belong to the Lord. But the things revealed belong to us and to our sons. Deuteronomy 30. For this commandment which I command you today is not too difficult for you, nor is it out of reach. It, what I'm telling you, God said to the children of Israel, is not too hard for you. Nor is it out of reach. You don't have to send somebody up to heaven with a special messenger to come on back down. And No, it's not too difficult for you, nor is it out of reach. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Of all, of all the statements in Psalm 119, I think I am most happy for statements like this. The unfolding of thy words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. There's hope for me. I'm a simple guy. And this word is understandable. And it makes the simple wise. Acts 17. Uh, you know the account of... Uh, Paul and Silas uh, going to Berea. The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. <clears throat> now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. They even took what Paul said and went back to the plain teaching of this book to see if it was so. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures might have hope. Now hang on to that for a sec. Uh, that's Romans 15.4. Paul is talking about what was written in the Old Testament. It was written for our instruction. And then he says in 1 Corinthians 10, now these things happened as examples for us. What things? He's going to tell you. That we should not crave evil things as they also craved, and do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. He's quoting from the Old Testament. The people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. There's a point to be made here. Without any exposition of these events, Paul referenced things that happened to the Israelites in Exodus 32, Numbers 14, Numbers 21, and Numbers 25. And he expected these Corinthian, Greek-speaking, Gentile Christians to understand and learn so that they could avoid the same kinds of sins. How could Greek-speaking, Gentile Christians understand stuff that happened millennia before they were even on the face of the earth if those things that happened way back when were not clear. Do you see the point? Paul references things that happened way back to the children of Israel in the wilderness. And he says them to these Gentile Greek-speaking Christians as if there would not be a glitch at all in their understanding of what he was talking about and what took place. Did they have exposure to the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint? Well, they probably did. Had they read it? Probably so. Did they understand what they read? 
Paul is assuming that they understood what they read because he draws these lessons from Scripture. Oh, the Bible is such an out-of-date book. Um, It's not modern. Really? Is everything old? Unintelligible? No. And the Bible is so very up-to-date. And it's plain. Um, And that from childhood, Paul writing to Timothy, you've known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Timothy learned it from his mother and his grandmother. It was understandable to the child, Timothy. Now, those are plain statements in the Bible itself, but we can also draw the conclusion that the Bible is plain and clear simply from the way things are presented in Scripture. Um, And this is a point that um, Wayne Grudem makes. I got a lot of really helpful information from uh, an address Wayne Grudem gave on the persecuted Scripture. In the discussions Jesus had with various people, whether with the scribes and Pharisees or with ordinary everyday people, with the down and outs, the outcasts, the sinners, the people nobody else associated with, or with the doctors of the law and the scribes and Pharisees and the elders. In his discussions, he never once spoke as if there was a problem with the Old Testament scriptures being clear. You ever hear Jesus say this? I sympathize with your frustration. The Old Testament scriptures relevant to your question have unusually complex hermeneutical difficulties. Jesus never even hint at that. No. No. He was speaking to first century people a thousand years removed from David, 2,000 years, give or take, removed from Abraham, and he assumed that people were able to read and understand the Old Testament scriptures and that they had application to them in their day. Don't tell me that this book is too out of date and old-fashioned. Jesus didn't assume that. And so here's what Jesus did. Instead of saying... <clears throat> Instead of saying the Old Testament scriptures relevant to your question have unusually complex difficulties, instead, when asked by the Pharisees about the apparent about apparent Sabbath violations, his answer was this: Have you not read what David did? Have you not read in the law? Those are both in Matthew 12, and he's responding to to scribes and Pharisees and their criticism of the disciples' practice on the Lord's Day, on the Sabbath. And his response to those critics is simply, haven't you read? It's plain. Haven't you read this? They should have known. Because it's plain. On questions of marriage and divorce, Jesus answered, oh, I'm sorry, that's such a complex issue. Um, you'll need to enroll in uh, uh, Jerusalem Seminary for three years and get your MDiv before I can answer that question for you. No, it's not what he said. On question of marriage and divorce, Jesus answered, have you not read? And he quotes from Genesis. That's in Matthew 19. Have you not read? He, he, He assumed that what was written was understandable. And he holds them accountable for not having read and understood it and asking the ridiculous questions they asked. In answering the chief priests and elders who questioned Jesus' authority, he said, Did you, have you never read in the scriptures? And then he quotes from Psalm 118 about the stone which the builders rejected. Don't you understand that? Have you never read? Jesus lays the blame for our errors in thinking and living squarely on the shoulders of the readers. Either they didn't read or they didn't understand what was plain. My 
most of the New Testament epistles are written not to elders and teachers, but to congregations. Because Paul assumed that his hearers would be able to understand the majority of what he wrote. Paul even included children in some of his exhortations, assuming that what he wrote to them was plain enough for even children to understand. And can I pull, can I pull, I just pulled these out at random. Statements in the Bible. They're as plain as the nose on your face. Okay? Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. You got a problem with that? Understand what it means? Is that pretty plain? A child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. What's hard about that? It's plain. Pride goes for destruction. Do we need do we need a degree to figure that out? Whatever man sows, this he will also reap. You reap what you sow. Is that hard to understand? Happens every day. How shall you know a man cleanses away by taking heed according to your word? Is that is that so difficult? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You may not agree, but is it hard to understand? No man can have two masters. Do all things without grumbling. That is in the Bible, by the way. Isn't it? Philippians chapter 2, right about verse 14. Do all things without grumbling. What, what's hard to understand about that? The Bible is full of plain speech. It's perspicuous. It's clear. We don't always like what it says. Do we? No. But we understand what it says. Well then... Uh, what about the illumination of the Holy Spirit? If the Bible is plain, do we really need the Holy Spirit to open our eyes? And what's the answer to that question? Yes. Yes. Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Or Psalm 119, 34. Give me... Give me, give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Or 1 Corinthians 2.14 The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness, their folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Yes, we desperately need the Holy Spirit to open our eyes. Now think with me about that. The natural person does not accept the things that serve God for their folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. Understanding is not just a mental process of word meanings. It is not just that. When the Bible says he's not able to understand them, it doesn't mean that when he sees the verb do in the Bible, I, I don't understand what do means. That's not, what it, that's not what it means. Go back to verse 34 of Psalm 119. Give me understanding that I may what? Keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. When the Bible talks about open our eyes so that we may understand, it's with a view to loving and embracing and obeying what we've read. It's not just the bare surface of understanding words and definitions when the Bible says we can't understand unless the Spirit opens our eyes. No, it's understanding the sense of embracing and obeying. See, because the Bible is plain and clear, it is altogether possible for someone to grasp the meanings of the words and the concepts those words set before them, but have absolutely no interest in embracing them for his own or resting upon them and giving heart obedience to them. You, you follow me? 
Somebody can understand the word. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a theological term. The counter-imputations of sin and righteousness. What is that? The counter-imputations of sin and righteousness. It has to do with the righteousness, righteousness of Jesus being put to my account and my sins being put to his account. That's at the heart of the reality of the gospel. It's at the heart of the substitutionary death of Jesus. His righteousness is put to my account. My sins are put to his account. And apart from that, there ain't no salvation. Because his law must be kept. And I didn't do it. He had to do it for me. And he did it perfectly. And he gives that righteousness to me as really as if it were mine. And something has to be done with my sin. It's got to be punished. So my sins were put on Jesus and the punishment fell on him for my sins. That's the counter-imputation of sin and righteousness. Okay, now, somebody could explain the counter-imputation of sin and righteousness accurately, but have zero interest in having the righteousness of Christ put to his account and his sins forgiven because they've been put on Jesus. Being able to explain the terms and embracing the truth are two different things. What do we need the illumination of the Holy Spirit for? Not to explain the terms, but to embrace the truth. So that we see the beauty of what Jesus is saying. And we want it for our own. So is the, is the illumination of the Holy Spirit necessary? Absolutely it's necessary. If I ever want to get past mechanical definitions of words mechanical definitions never saved anybody trust in the savior when we understand who he is and who I am and what he's done and what I need when we see that that's where salvation comes so do we need the illumination of the Holy Spirit absolutely um what about the need for teachers? Can't I just sit down and read it for myself and be just fine? How would you answer that question? What about the need for teachers? Can't I just sit down and read the Bible myself and be just fine? It's plain. The answer to that question. Is yes and no. <laughs> True? It's yes and no. Of course, we should search the scriptures diligently like the Bereans to see if these things be so. But we've made the point, and, 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 and there's, there's enough here that is plain and understandable that I can sit down and read this book and be just fine. But we made the point that if there's a problem, it is not with the Bible, but it's with me. So what has God done? <clears throat> He's given teachers to the church. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, the building up of the body of Christ. Why did he do that? If, if, if I can sit down and read this and be just fine, period, end of discussion, that's it. Why did he do this? Well, I think when you look at it, says the purpose for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. It doesn't say for the teaching someone how to be saved. I think what you said earlier, the scripture that said, when Jesus said, I am the way to be my life, no one comes to the Father but through me. That's very understandable. And if you accept that through the Holy Spirit, you can be saved, obviously, and you know enough to trust in Jesus. Yeah. But as far as learning how to grow, going from the babe with the milk to the mature with the food, teachers come in, I think, at, the, at that point to help you grow yeah. in sanctification. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, an awful lot of false teaching has originated from somebody just sitting over here reading their own Bible all by themselves and thinking they're just fine. 
Um, so it, it's not either or, it's both and. Okay? Um, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. We need that. We need that. And those teachers, and we, and we forget this perspective. Let's not. Let's not forget this. The teachers God has given to the church have functioned for centuries upon centuries upon centuries. The teachers God has given to the church are more than Pastor Ted and Pastor Thad and Pastor Mark and Pastor Keith and Pastor Keith. Aren't they? They're teachers God has given to the church. But are they the only ones? No. God-given teachers to the church have been functioning for millennia. For 2,000 plus years. So that we have a body of teaching that the church has consistently embraced over centuries and centuries and centuries. And out of that have grown the disciplines of exegetical and biblical and historical and systematic theology, all of which are designed to keep us within the boundaries of what the Bible teaches us. See, <clears throat> there's something really wonderful and good and wholesome and right about sitting down by yourself and reading the Bible. And every one of us ought to be doing that every day. What does Proverbs say about about sitting down daily at the gates of wisdom. Daily. We ought to be doing that. But to make sure that we're on track with, with how we're doing that, what do we need? We need the safeguard of the teaching God has given to the church over centuries and centuries and centuries. I, I, more than one sermon... I've, I've gotten an idea for a sermon and I start working that idea out. Has this ever happened to any of you guys? And you start working that idea out and then you sit down and you look very closely at the text and you read a couple of commentaries and you, and you come away and say, what was I thinking? Jason, you're shaking your head. Has that happened to you? You scrapped a sermon or two. When you saw the wider scope of the teaching of the church. And I'm not setting the church up here as, as the, the final arbiter of right and wrong, but there's something to be said for the teaching of the church that has been sustained over centuries and centuries and centuries. It's a plug for studying in church history, by the way. So, um, all of those things that are designed to keep us within the boundaries of what the Bible teaches. Remember what we said earlier? The Bible isn't one and the same time. A clear, shallow stream of cool, refreshing water in which anyone may easily drink, and a good drink it is, but it is also the deepest ocean, the depths of which no one on earth has altogether fathomed, and a mind the treasures of which have never yet been exhausted. So, do we need the illumination of the Holy Spirit? Yes, we do. Do we need the benefit of teachers and pastors and preachers? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. So, last question, so what? Is this much ado about nothing? No. So what? The so what is, th this is really simple. We must be committed to the necessity of Bible translation. If this is clear, we are so rotten spoiled. How many of these do you have laying around the house? And how many translations that are all understandable? Huh? There are at least 1.5 billion people do not have the whole the full Bible in their first language. More than 110 million do not have even a single verse of scripture. Who? Baby I put, that, I put that Greek text of James 1 
up here a while ago, and none of you could read it. That's like shipping off a boatload of these right here to some remote tribe in Indonesia and saying, now you guys have the Bible. Huh? No, they don't. This is clear. But it's got to be in words you can read and understand. True? Because what I put up here on the board was closer to the original manuscripts than, than this is. But you couldn't read it. You had to have it in English. And in modern day English. There are more than 2,500 languages across 170 countries that have active translation and linguistic development work happening right now. That's huge. These are all figures from Wycliffe Bible Translators. Approximately 1,600 languages, that little asterisk is for not including sign language, still need a Bible translation project to begin. Wow. We ought to be committed to the necessity of Bible translation. And I, I, what form is that going to take? I don't know. Will it, will it be a monthly contribution to Wycliffe or an occasional contribution to Wycliffe or to some other effort that is underway to translate the Bible into the language of people who've never, ever, 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 ever seen a word of it? Now, can they hear? Yes. Can they hear it in their own language? Well, if they're missionaries who've, who've studied that language and torn it apart and understand it and can speak it, yes, they can hear it. And that's wonderful. And it ought to be. But they need to be able to read it. We ought to give some serious thought to our commitment to Bible translation. And last application here. We cannot be satisfied with simply reading or hearing the Word of God. If it's clear, if it's clear, what does that require of us? Obedience. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and floods came. Oh, we all, how many of you sang that when you were a little kid? The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock and the rains came tumbling down. The rains came down, floods came up. The rains came down, floods came up. The rains came down, floods came up. And the house on the rock stood firm. But... Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. The Bible is plain. And it's plain for a reason. And the reason is we must embrace it and obey it. And we'll never, ever, 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 ever be able to stand before God and say, but I didn't understand. No. We've got this book. And it's plain. And we have the illumination of the Holy Spirit. And we have the benefit of teachers to help us with our understanding. And where do we go with that? Right down the path of obedience. And that's a lifelong process. Be doers of the word and not hear. There it is in English. Be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Okay? Any quick questions? Let me give you a real, a real cool quote from Augustine. The Holy Spirit has arraigned the scriptures in such a wonderful and wholesome manner that hunger is remedied by the plainer passages and pride is remedied by the more obscure.
Hunger is remedied by the plainer passages, and pride is remedied by the more obscure. I don't, I don't understand that. Psst. Pride is deflated. Well, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for such a book that we hold in our hands. Thank you for such abundant and ready and easy access to this living and abiding word of God that is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of joints and marrow and of soul and spirit. Thank you for this book. Thank you that it's playing. Thank you for the illumination of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the benefit of teachers who help us on our way to heaven. We pray that you would be merciful to those who've never seen a word of what you've written, who've never heard a word of what you've given us. Send us to fill that gap. Take your word to place where it's never been so that it's plain, clear, simple, straightforward message will be heard far and wide. Thank you for this book. Help us now as we will hear it again opened and preached and proclaimed to us. May it come home to all of our hearts with conviction and with application and with our heart's commitment to follow hard after you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Gentlemen, let's remember to switch these tables around and set up for uh, school tomorrow. Stop.